0: Uh, let me just share with you as we enter into our lesson today, we're, we're talking about, uh, for the last three weeks, we were talking about uh, cultural diseases, cultural sicknesses that uh, are in our world today and how, if we're not careful, uh, we'll drag them into the house of God and we think it's normal living and we think it's accepted living because everybody else is doing it and uh, this is the way everybody lives. Or maybe it's not so much a mental uh, uh, assertion that uh, we are living this way because it's accepted. Uh, There could be some things that we uh, begin to believe are normal practice because of the effect the world has on us as we interact in this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Somebody say, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world, so... I have to deal with uh, the world that I'm living in and I have to be able to minister to that world in a very particular way, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, But the world that I'm in and the culture that I'm in uh, has the ability, if I allow it, to influence me in certain ways. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm pleasing to God. His word is eternal. Eternal. He never changes. How many believe that? He, he never changes, and, and I, I believe that. Uh, I don't believe what was unaccepted in the law of Moses is now accepted because of grace. And, and you, say, you say what you will about all that, but Jesus addressed those matters when he said... The law said, thou shalt not murder, but I say unto you that if you hate your brother, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're already guilty of what the law is trying to pull off the tree. So the law was picking the fruit. Jesus said, I've come to to take care of the root. (laughs) You change the tree, you change the fruit. Somebody say amen. So we're understanding this. The, Jesus didn't come to say, you know, all that stuff I said back there to Moses, that doesn't matter. No, he's saying the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, will take you further than the list of rules. Am I okay? All right. So we understand this, that living in the Spirit doesn't mean we're free now to do whatever we want because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he doesn't want you to steal, I don't believe he still wants you to steal. doesn't want you to murder. I still believe it's his plan that, that uh, we value life. So these are very important issues. And if we're not careful, the culture can begin to twist our thinking. We think, well, this is normal. And so we began this three week, and today we'll end it. Uh, we began this by uh, issuing a challenge to all of us that I think one of the greatest cultural diseases in our world today is selfishness, self-centeredness. And, of course, we took biblical uh, uh, direction in that matter because we found out that in the last days, uh, men will be lovers of themselves. This was the first symptom of the last days. It was selfishness. And when you put self on the throne, there's a whole listing of what happens after that. But it doesn't get any better. It gets bad after we put ourselves on the throne. Uh, so we live in a world that's pretty self-centered. I was raised in a world where your opinion didn't matter. <laughs> Children are supposed to be quiet. You know, I'm in an age now, and it, it, it I'll just te- I'm just going to give you a little peek into my head. When we have a potluck dinner, and I see a bunch of kids running to the potluck, shoving old folks out of the way, oh, my blood boils. I was raised in an area where you say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And if I didn't say, ma'am, they'd say, what? Yes, what? Ma'am. And if you miss the cue, you'd get popped across the mouth. Don't you talk to me that way. No what? No ma'am. Hello? And you know what? All the elders would go to the table and eat. You know, now it's, now it's kid-focused. Kids are our world. That kid's my world. And they know it. We got real issues because of it. Uh, I was told as a young man, you know, you, as a child, well, sometimes you don't get your way pitch fit all you want. Uh we're going to be sitting here waiting on you to get done when you get your your fit pitching over. And I used to hear if you start that stuff, you start that, you pick you put pooch your lip out and start that crying, I'm going to give you something to what? Cry about. <laughs> you think that's bad? Wait till I get <laughs> wait till I get done with you you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas well just wait till I get done giving you what I want to give you for Christmas that's the world I was raised in it wasn't about you I won't sleep in on Saturday but you, hey no there's stuff to be done my I, I didn't I didn't I didn't wake up thinking I wonder how many likes I got during the night Who likes what I said yesterday? Oh, they didn't like it. I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? Because so-and-so didn't like my quote. We're so self-centered. Our opinion is God. And and so this is what we began to address three weeks ago. So if if you missed those few Sunday mornings, you can go on the podcast and catch up. Well, we talked about what happens when you get real self-centered. It's, you get re- it's easy for you to get offended. Remember? Anybody remember that? And last week, just to catch you up, we talked about Joseph. You remember Joseph? He had brothers that did some terrible things to him. And had he retaliated, uh, he would have destroyed the, uh, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. He would have wiped out had he retaliated but he didn't retaliate. He treated them as brothers. And in fact, we read it in your hearing that he told those brothers when they're prostrate, prostrate before the, him, on, you know, begging for his forgiveness, he says, I want you to know, I'm not angry with you because you didn't send me here. God sent me here. Joseph saw God at work in what people were doing. How many know that some people don't respond, don't do things that are too godly? I got a couple hands, three or four. How many know there are people that get a get something in their crawl and they do something that you know God's not pleased with? Joseph's brothers were gonna kill him. Will you think God was pleased with that? No. These are actions that God does not approve of. But Joseph said, God put me here. Well. All that stuff those brothers did didn't short-circuit God's plan. They couldn't mess up the plan of God. God was going to have Joseph in the right place at the right time with the right spirit, thank God, to preserve the house of Israel. In spite of what his brothers had done to him, he fed the same guys who sold him out. Fed their families for five years when they would have starved to death. Joseph fed those men's kids, the children of the men that would kill him. He refused to have a spirit of vengeance or to get offended. Get offended. How easily we're offended. These guys threw him in a pit, uh, stripped him naked, bloodied his clothes, sent somebody home with the bloody clothes and a lie and sent Joseph to Egypt by himself as a slave. How easily we get offended. Somebody said something. Are, are you serious? They said something. Wow. Well, sure they did. They've got an opinion just like yours. Well, they didn't do something. I want to ask you a very important question as we jump in here today. And I want you to think about it all through this lesson. Would you want God to forgive you In the same way, you have forgiven those who have offended you. All I hear is the kids' classes now. You hear that? Would you want God to forgive you in the same way that you've forgiven those who have offended you? Would you want to come to this altar today after whatever you did this week and say, Lord, I'm convicted and I'm sorry. I'm not going to return to that kind of behavior. I want you to forgive me. Would you want God saying, well, I forgive you, but it's going to be a long time before I trust you? Would you want God saying, well, I forgive you, but I'm not sure, you know, it's going to take a while. I forgive you. No, you know what you want the Lord to do? You want him to take that. And throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Next Sunday, you want to come back and raise your hands and you want to feel God smiling on you. That's what you want to feel. I'd like for other people to feel that for me. In fact, in Matthew 18, it tells us how many times we should forgive. Do you know how many times you should forgive in a day? Help me out. How many? If you're a smart church, you know. How many? Seven times something... 70, and if you're a real smart church, you know how many that is. Seven times 70 is what? 490 times in a day. Do the math. You stay up 24 hours. Don't even go to sleep so you can forgive the maximum amount and figure that out on your little phone. Get your calculator and figure out how many times a day you're supposed to forgive. How many times that is in a minute. It's shocking. You can't be offended that much. Oh, wait. Maybe the Lord knew in this last day people would be so selfish that 490 times a day might be pushing it. Yeah, do the math. Somebody help me out. Tell me how many times a minute that is. 1,440 minutes in a day, right? 2.9, almost three times a minute, uh, 60 seconds. That's every 20 seconds you need to forgive somebody. And that's not even going to sleep. That's if you stay up 24 hours. If you sleep eight of those hours, that even makes it quicker. You need to forgive about every 10 seconds, every 12 seconds. Anybody ever been offended that much? Come right on up here. We're going to pray for you right now. No, I'm Jesus. I don't think so I, I think I've gone 20 seconds without needing to forgive somebody somebody say amen now what we're going to do today and this is very important when Jesus start talking about forgiveness Matthew 18 and I got a hustle notice what he said 490 times a day and you say well brother Gene it's just hard well sure it is hard but in Matthew 18 he tells you something I'm going to tell you something the unforgiving servant, now this is not somebody just out in never-never land. This is the person in the master's house. This is the servant of the master. If there's a servant of the master that thinks unforgiveness is okay, the master says, I'm going to turn you over to torture and I'm going to rep- require you to pay your original unpayable debt that you owed to the master. Now that's pretty tough stuff. How many's ever come to church and felt bound up? Anybody ever wondered why serving God and I, I love the Lord and all this how many ever felt like you were being tortured? How many ever felt like you wondered why in the world would I be going through this? Raise your hand mine 's up everybody 's felt that way, and sometimes i want we if we 're not careful, we think that this bondage. We rebuke the devil, you know, we we even say, well, it's just my flesh. Could it be unforgiveness that the Lord says, I'm putting you to the tormentors until you repay me everything you're... We can't repay the debt we owe Jesus. There is no way. You're going to be in torture for a long time if you ever think you're going to ever pay the Lord off. And some of the bondage and some of the stuff in our lives, Matthew 18 tells us that it's not the devil. It's the Lord saying to you, you're going to be bound up until you forgive. Uh-oh. Am I okay? All right. Well, can God protect us? is God really in control? Okay, yes he is. Let's look at something today in the book of 1 Samuel, the the chapters are begin in chapter 16 and all, goes all the way through chapter 31. We're not going to we're not going to read all those, but we're going to we're going to look real quickly today at a relationship that I think is interesting. In this portion of scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it begins we find the relationship between two men, Saul, everybody say Saul. What do you remember about Saul? Who is Saul? Now, I'm not, not Saul of Tarsus. This is First Samuel, so this is Old Testament. Saul, who was Saul, first king of Israel. First king of Israel. He was elected king because he was hit. he was tall. Who should we vote for? Well, we shouldn't vote for either one of them. But one's taller than the other one. He gets my vote. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the election we just came through doesn't it who should we vote for I don't know I like this one's hair I think I'll vote for hello anyway Saul king of Israel and David everybody say David Now, in the story, we find where uh, in 1 Samuel 16, early in the story, Saul is tormented by an evil spirit because he has disobeyed God, and the only relief he gets is when somebody plays music. Now, there's a whole message right there. I hope you got it without me preaching it. There was only relief in Saul's life when he heard a tune, when there was music going. And so David was asked to come and play before the king so that he would be soothed, anxiety, or whatever. Could could this have been the first therapy given to an anxious king? They played music. David plays, he ministers, and he'd he'd already been anointed by Samuel. and, And I'm sure David must be thinking, Samuel's already anointed David. Everybody say, David's already anointed. Samuel has already told David, you're the next king of Israel. Now he gets summoned to the palace to play music for Saul. So David's probably thinking, man, look what God's doing. I was playing music out there with the sheep, minding my own business, and Samuel said I'm going to be the next king. Look how God is opening the doors. Here I am in the palace. I may be the musician, but I'm going to be the king one day. Huh? I'm sure he's thinking, "God is working." But time passed. David's asked by his father to bring refreshments to his older brothers. David encounters Goliath. David went before the king to ask permission to fight Goliath. He kills Goliath. He wins the king's daughter for a wife. And he's brought into the palace now, not to just be the chief musician, but now he's brought into the palace to live. And the king requests that David eat at his own table with his own sons. And this is where David and Jonathan make a covenant of friendship. Saul favors David, the Bible says, over all his other servants. And I'm sure in David's mind he's saying, oh, look what the Lord has done. (laughs) Look how God is at work. Look at the favor of the Lord on my life. But one day everything changed. And it was just because of that song. I'm not sure if David played one that Saul didn't like. But the Bible tells us that one day the song didn't soothe the king anymore. And Saul and David are returning from battle one day. And the women come out singing a song. Now this king is soothed by David singing and playing a song. But this song got on the king's nerves. Does anybody know what the women sang? Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his... Now, you do the math. David hasn't killed that many people. He had not even killed as many as Saul. But in the people's eyes, David was the up-and-comer. He was the one, obviously he's anointed, and so the Bible tells us that they begin to sing this song. They fall in love with David, and Saul hated David because he knew God was with him. And so David is forced to run for his life in the wilderness. Now, I'm sure David said, now wait a minute, everything was going good until those people started singing that song. Why does the king hate me now? Why am I in this position now? He's thrown out of the palace. He's living like a vagabond. He is, he is rejected by the king. He no longer eats at the king. Everybody hearing what I'm saying? So now he's running for his life. And the Bible tells us that not only is he running, but Saul is chasing him. Why is he running? Saul's chasing him. But not just Saul... 3,000 of Israel's finest warriors. 3,000 Navy SEALs. Saul is intent on destroying David. And David, I'm sure, is wondering... Now, Lord, you put me in the palace. I was the musician. I had the opportunity to, to use uh, uh, my sling to kill Goliath. And, and, and all of a sudden, uh, I'm put at the king's table. I'm, I'm his son-in-law, and I'm just I'm his chief servant. And, and now I'm running for my life. Where is the promise of God? Why are people treating me like this? Notice that God, everybody say God. Notice that God, everybody say God not the devil, placed David under the care of Saul. God did it. God did it. Well, it's the devil. My boss is doing this. Oh, no, could be God. Well, it's just the devil, you know. I've got neighbors. I've got a church or people or things, and it's not the will of God. Well, wait a minute. It was God that put David in that position. Why was, let me ask you something, why was favor dangled out in front of David and all of a sudden abruptly stripped away? Why was he the next king, the next appointed heir, and all of a sudden he's being chased like a madman? In fact, the Bible tells us opportunity arose for David to take Saul's life, and he did not. Saul noticed What David had not done, he had not killed him. And he stopped chasing David. And David probably thought it was all going to change. But the Bible tells us of another story in the hills of Hakla. David and Abishai slip into Saul's camp. And God, everybody say God. Everybody say God. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, not the devil. Not the devil. God put Saul and his 3,000 Navy SEALs into a deep sleep. It was a God thing. God put them asleep. And if we're not careful, when God tests us. Abishai says to David, we've got good reason, David. We've walked right into the midst of 3,000 of the best warriors Israel has, and they're still asleep. God has put them asleep, God has put them into our hand, David. It's time to kill them. It's time to wipe them out. God wants them dead. His favor's off of Saul. His anointing is off of Saul. It's time for you to take the throne. And God had put them in a sleep. And God had anointed David to be king over Israel. And God had put 3,000 of Israel's finest into a deep sleep so that David and Abishai could walk right into their midst all the reason sounded good. They all made sense. They could have held hands and said, You know, the word says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Here we are. We agree. But wait a minute. First Samuel 26 verse 9. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him or his day shall come to die, and he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. Did you read any of that? Did any of that make any sense to you in a world that seems to be topsy-turvy, where it's dog-eat-dog, and you just pull the person in front of you down so you can climb up over them? David left vengeance in the hands of the Lord. It's not my place to pull this man down. If this man's coming down, God's going to pull him down. Proverbs 6, verse 16, don't you ever forget this. All that stuff you say is an abomination. All that stuff that you preach to this world in which we live in that's an abomination. Don't forget this either. That there's six things the Lord hates. Yeah, seven are an abomination. And they don't have anything to do with sexual misconduct. All that stuff you think God hates, here's some other stuff for you to be reminded that he hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brothers. You know what sowing is? Anybody know what sowing is? What is sowing? Planting. Yep, there it is. Craig said planting. Everybody say planting. It didn't say you are, you, you're, you're, it doesn't say you're reaping discord. It doesn't mean you're harvesting discord. It says you're planting it. Do you know how you plant it? You plant it by tail bearing. You plant it by saying things about people. Well, I got offended. They did this or they did that. You know what? You're in danger of damaging people because of the offense that comes to you. I don't care what they did. Vengeance is the Lord's. Am I okay? So back to that fateful night. David had a chance to kill Saul, and God had placed him in a deep sleep. What would have happened had David allowed his servant to kill Saul? Saul was a king. Everybody say King. He was a king because there was a kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. That's right. And I really believe that God wanted to see whether David would kill to establish his kingdom. Or would he allow God to establish his kingdom? Uh Uh-oh. God tested David to see if he would kill to establish his kingdom. I want everybody in this room to know this is not your kingdom or my kingdom. This is God's kingdom. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll kill people thinking we're protecting his kingdom. This is not your kingdom. Am I okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, somebody give me the next three words. Say them real loud. If it's up there. Dearly beloved. Okay. Dearly beloved apostolic church. There we go. No, here we go. Dearly beloved. What's the next three words? Say it real loud. But rather give place unto wrath. For it is written. Read those next three words. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy... Is hungry, what do you do? Let him starve to death. That's what you do. Let him starve that no good cotton picker. I don't know why that's a bad word, but that's a bad word where me and Mac was from. If your enemy hungers, what do you do for him? Feed him. You know what you would in vengeance you would say, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not serving that guy. There ain't no way. The Lord said, don't give place to vengeance. Avenge not yourselves. It is written, vengeance is mine. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, what do you do? Give him to drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome. Do not, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. That's right. You don't ever do anything by, per- by returning evil for evil. All you do is perpetuate evil. The only way to stamp out evil is with good. You feed your enemy when he's hungry. You give him water when he's thirsty. In so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. It is righteous for God to avenge his servants. It's unrighteous for God's servants to avenge themselves. And God many times will test his servants with obedience. He puts the enemy in a deep sleep. He gives you opportunity to retaliate. He get, you get that phone call from somebody and you say to them, Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but since you called, you didn't realize that it was God that gave you that phone call to see how you would respond. It's not God opening the door for you. It's God seeing if you're going to obey. And God put Saul into a deep sleep and David didn't take the bait. You know why? Because he allowed the word of God to rule his life. Vengeance is not mine. This kingdom is not mine. It's God's. Somebody say amen. Let me say something to you. Churches are not cafeterias. It'd be it'd be easy if it was, because we just cook up a bunch of stuff and say, "Come get what you want." But churches are not cafeterias. No church is perfect. Turn to your late neighbor and say, "Amen to that." Now turn back to him and say, "I'm here." And I know you wanted to say, "He's here," like I heard somewhere in this audience a second ago. Or they're here. This church is not perfect. You're right. They're sitting right behind me, pastor. No, no. Hopefully, everybody's trying desperately to follow the voice of God and the will of God. But the list is endless of offenses that can come in a church. Endless. You know why? Because we think everybody ought to love Jesus like I love Jesus. Everybody ought to love people like I love people. But we, we're not in a perfect world. You don't have a perfect pastor. Now, oh, well, I didn't even get an amen. You're scared to say amen, aren't you? It's okay. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's face it. Jesus was the only perfect pastor. How many would like to have Jesus as your pastor? Well, amen. Lynn and April and a few more. You know what, I'm convinced Jesus probably wouldn't get voted in to many churches. Because I want to give you two little uh, snippets about uh, that may not seem real pastoral. Somebody died. And there's a man that says, I'll follow you, Lord, if you let me go home and bury my family member. And the pastor, that perfect pastor, says, oh no. Don't don't even go home to do that. You let the dead bury the dead. Well, I'm not ever going to his church. Let me give you another. Uh, Maybe I should start praying this way. Lord, I want a pastor like you pastor. Because I find where Jesus went to the synagogue and he chose his seat. Do you know where he sat? He sat where he could see how the people give their money. I don't know how pastoral you would think it would be if today during my lesson we started scrolling the giving records of everybody in this class. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, it's getting real nervy right now. You see, even me talking about it, you're starting to think about transferring churches. If we put up here, not not what you say you give, no, if we put the facts up there, well, that doesn't seem too pastoral, but Jesus stopped the entire service and said, "I, I want all of you to know who just gave the most in the offering." And I want, you to, I want you to be mindful of how they gave. The Lord told us how Pharisees give. They give by making a big show before men. So what they'd done is they had announced how much they'd given. They'd come poured it into the tank. And the Bible says he just sat there. But when that little old widow walked up without any fanfare and she dropped her little offering, the Lord stopped the whole person. Wait, 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 wait. While the band was playing and all of us were backslapping the big givers, I want to tell you who just gave the most. This little widow right here just gave the most. She gave more than all of you. Now that's offensive to people. But wait a minute, Jesus wants us to obey. There's some things we think are the devil and they're not the devil at all. God tests us with obedience. Well, I wouldn't have said anything, but now God's given me an opportunity. Oh no, you're just fixing to cut your own throats, all you're fixing to do. David, you're fixing to lose the kingdom. Hello? Vengeance is the Lord's. Somebody say amen. Let's face it, Jesus wouldn't be the perfect pastor. In fact, first Corinthians twelve eight, we'd probably vote him out after a few months. First Corinthians twelve eighteen. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. I want us to read that out loud. It is so good. We've got to read this out loud. Please uh, bear with me in my folly here. Uh, read it out loud. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. That is huge. One, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 19 words without pronunciations uh, 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 or punctuations 19 words not counting commas and periods that is huge you know what that's saying that says God puts the people in this church no, no, you—that's it. Says God put members in the body. You didn't do it. I didn't vote them in. I didn't sign their membership roll. God put them in here. Oh, oh, you ought to clap. You ought to thank God. There's a place for you in the body. Now notice, I don't want you to lose the last five words. At his, as it has pleased who. Notice, God didn't put people here to please you. God didn't save people here to please you. He put people here that please him. So I know you don't like your neighbor, and I know somebody's been offensive, and I know somebody did you wrong, but you ought to thank God there's a place for old cotton pickers like them. Because if it's true that God has a place for them, then it means God has a place for you as well. Oh, come on, somebody clap your hands under the Lord. Come on, you ought to thank God that God puts people in the body. Come on, that's not good enough. We ought to clap right now and thank Him. He puts you in the church. How many believe that if you're in the place God wants you, the devil will try to take you out? So if that passage is true, that God puts members in the body as it pleases him, there's. I'm convicted of it. I'm getting a little wiser as I get older. I will give you a little glance, a little glance into the window of my heart for just a moment. I want to say to you that the closer I get to the Lord, the more judgmentalism leaves me I realized that the closer I get to the Lord something begins to bubble up in my spirit and it's the love of God and all of a sudden what I think I'm protecting and what I think I'm holding on to it's not near as important because it's God's church and he puts the members here. Now, now, there's pastoral and shepherding duties, absolutely. But I want you to understand that there have been people that have walked up to me and said, How's the church going? And I've said, Well, we're just two funerals away from a revival. That is good, isn't it? But it's pretty judgmental. <laughs> Hello? Hello? I had people say, you know, well, I want to transfer. And I'm not one of those that thinks unless you go to this church, you're, you know, this is the only church going to heaven. I'm not one of those. But I am going to tell you right now that there, there, there are times where you think, you know what, Lord, if, if that person was not there, things would be a lot harder. <laughs> but you know what? You got to realize that God puts people in the body. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that means you. God put you here. Wow. Man, if we were picking, be slim pickings. I know some of you would leave me off your list, but hey, let me show you something else. If you will not budge even in the face of great conflict, you're going to spoil the devil's plans. The devil, if God puts you in the church, the devil wants to pull you out. And if you let him pull you out, you're just doing what the enemy wants you to do. But if you will not budge, you're going to spoil the devil's plans. The devil wants there to be dissension in the body. The devil wants there to be offended people in the body. Everybody okay? Turn to your neighbor and tell him we can't keep everybody happy. How many's got kids here? You try to keep them all happy. How many of you kids ever say, "Well, that's not fair. That's not fair." Well, absolutely, that's not fair. You didn't do so and so that way. Well, no, you're not so and so. Bible says, "Train up a child in the way he should go," and literally, that means in the according to his bend. You know, you got one child you can look at and they fall apart and cry and say, "I'm sorry," but the other one you got to beat it out of them. I got one like that. Look at this, Psalms 92:13. Now, we just read where God puts members in the body, right? Please don't go to sleep on my. If, if I can't sleep through this lesson, I'm not going to let you. <laughs> look at this. God puts people in the body as it pleases Him. Now let's look at this verse, Psalms 92, and we're going to read verse 13, Psalms 92, verse 13. Those, read it out loud, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Look at that. Now we know God puts people in the church according to what pleases Him. But it says the people that flourish are the ones that are planted. You see that, don't you? The planted shall flourish. Say that. The planted shall flourish let me ask you something. We got a few farmers here. What happens if you plant beans or turnips, plant whatever you want. Plant it and then you see the little sprig come up and you run out there and say, "Oh, I want to go show that to mama." And you pull it out of the ground and you run in and, and take it to the family say, "Look, our turnips are growing." And then you go dig back and if you did that every day, you know how you fl- you know how plants flourishes? You keep it in the soil. You say, you know what? Through thick and thin. It doesn't matter what anybody does to me. It doesn't matter what they say. I'm not going to get offended. I'm not going to be so sensitive. I'm going to be in the church because God put me here. And it's the same way in the body. God gives, God shows us that He puts people in the body as it pleases Him. And then He says, you will flourish if you stay planted. When a tree is put in the ground it's going to face rainstorms, hot weather, wind, tornadoes. If the planter listens to the tree you will actually harm the tree. It is through the endurance of the hard times that causes the roots to go deeper and deeper it is in the testing it's when you build stability it's when somebody comes up and says something to you that could be offensive but you say oh no I'm not going to let a fence have a place in me and all of a sudden the roots go deeper and all of a sudden there's a, a tree that flourishes and David inspired by the Holy Ghost makes a powerful connection between a fence the law of God, and our spiritual growth. I hope you see it. David, inspired of the Holy Ghost, makes a connection between us being offended, the laws of God, and our spiritual growth. How many want to grow? How many don't want the storms of life to blow you over? Well, let's read it. Psalms 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man. You know that word, that first phrase, literally translated, it literally translates into Hebrew. Oh, the happiness. Oh, the happiness of a man. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I wish you were blessed this morning. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, come on, give me a smile. Just a smile. Come on, you don't have anything in your teeth. Come on, give me a smile. Oh, the happiness of a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Look at that. That literally means marries the scorner. A scorner is somebody that divides. Somebody you can't ever make them happy. They're scornful in everything. And this writer says you're married to a scorner. Somebody says, oh boy, pastor, you're preaching now. I've been married to a scorner. (laughs) No. (laughs) But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. What will that man be like? He shall be like a tree planted. Oh, I'd, I'd like to have a church full of trees planted. Strong. Pillars. Somebody say amen. Now we gain insight into the interpretation of the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4. I skipped a a reference. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 4 verse 16. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness. Oh yeah. I want to be a tree planted that they have no root in themselves, so endure but for a time and afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the what word's sake, they immediately are. What's the word? Offended. Yeah. You know why people don't flourish? Because they get offended. And you know why they get offended? It's because there's no place for the roots in their life. They love preaching, but it doesn't go very deep. Am I okay? And every little thing, every little affliction or persecution that comes up, they get afflicted, and they get persecuted, and they get offended because of it. Somebody say amen. Well, let's lift our hands and love the Lord right now. Jesus, I praise you today. Lord, I pray you would speak to this congregation. I pray you would touch our hearts. I pray you'd move in us, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to read a couple more verses. I know I've got a bunch on there, but we're not going to get to them. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God wants you to know something. 2 Timothy 3 and 1. And know this. Know this also. I want you to know this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Because... Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without even natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Somebody say amen. We're in that hour. Romans eight fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, who are they? They are the sons of God. Romans 8.15 For ye have not received the spirit of, ado- of bondage again to fear but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we if I say we turn to your neighbor and tell him that means we. We are the children of God. That person beside you is a child of God. That person in front of you is a child of God. Everybody okay? Somebody say Amen. I'll say to you, spiritual growth is not a function of time nor learning, but spiritual growth is a function of obedience. Spiritual growth is not how how many scriptures you can learn, although it's important for you to learn scripture, but spiritual growth is a function of obedience. And I want to obey God. I want to obey Him in every way. Somebody say amen. There's an old parable I want to end with as we close. Settlers were moving west. A wise man stood on a hill outside of a new western town. He would be the first person the people moving west would meet. He would stand out there in the middle of the road as the folks moving west would move into the town. And he'd be out kind of like our greeters at the door. Then we have some wonderful greeters today? One of them's going to his post right now. Boy, what a wonderful time to tell this story. As settlers were moving west, a wise man stood to greet them. He'd be the first person they'd greet or meet when they would come into the town. Let me ask you something. What if you were the first person somebody met when they walked in this church? Some of you say, oh, that's no problem. They'll never meet me. I'm going to run from them like you run from the virus. This man will be the first person people moving west would meet. They'd meet this man and they'd say to this man, hey, what kind of people are in this town? What kind of people are in this town? And he would answer them with a question. He would say, what were the people like in the town you just left? And they would say, Oh, we got out of there because this town was full of swindlers. There was all kind of crazy murders da da da, da da da. And the wise man would say, Well, this town is the same as the one you just left. Hello? Let's look a little deeper into that area. We understand that you know what? It may not be that we're gonna live in a perfect world ever. We're gonna be surrounded by perfect people, but you know what? We can find what we're looking for. And if you're looking for bad people, you can find them. If you're looking for a hypocrite, you can find it. But you know what? You can also look for somebody that's reaching for the Lord, that's wanting to please Him, that's wanting to walk with Him. Somebody say amen.